Okay, so we're going to go on with uh, thinking about Paul and his uh, really quite amazing life. After Jesus, I'd say he was pretty well the best, but he wasn't perfect, messed up a bit and all that. But uh, he, was a, he was a great one, really. So let's, uh, let's start with a prayer. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus to really pray that you will open up your word to us, that these verses that we read might really speak to us, and that we might put our hand in yours, and that we might totally surrender to your way, and the way of the Lord Jesus, and the way of your Spirit. Please help those who are not yet baptised to make that decision and get baptised, and help those of us who have been to keep going in that path that will lead us to everlasting life. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Right, so Paul is uh, going up to Jerusalem and he gathers together the elders of the church in Ephesus and he's telling them about his life. He's looking back at his life. And he says, I tell you today, I'm pure from the blood of all men. Just pick it up where I got to yesterday. And I said, well, how could Paul say that? I'm pure from the blood of all men. And since when, Paul? You tortured and you killed Christians. That's a pretty bad thing to do. And yet he says, no, no, I'm pure from the blood of everybody. I'm I'm living a straight life. I'm I'm okay with God. Later on, he's going to say, I've got a pure conscience. Well, I mean, if you tortured and murdered Christians, since when? You know, wouldn't you have, like, PTSD issues? Wouldn't you, like, be messed up for life having done that? Well, yes and no, but I think that the truth is that God forgives us in a way that man cannot. When we forgive each other, it's like, play on. You know, you do something bad to me, I do something bad to you. Well, what can we do? I can say, yeah, forget it. You can tell me, okay, Duncan, right, forget it, mate. Right, play on. Right, let's go on. But that is all human forgiveness is, saying, yeah, play on. Whereas when God forgives you, he actually takes away that sin and cleanses your conscience so that it actually isn't there. To the point that Paul, who was a murderer and a torturer of Christians, could say, I'm innocent from the blood of anyone. I've got a good conscience. That's only because of God's work in in his life. Well, he says, I didn't hesitate to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, I told you the whole thing. And we're all very good at telling people what we know they want to hear. But he actually told them the whole caboose uh, of how to live, what is sin, what is not, etc. And, you know... We all tend to want to just pick and take from Christianity what is convenient for me at this point in my life. Don't get too you know, intrusive, God, into my life. Don't get too intrusive in my, my little being. But no, there is what he calls here the whole counsel of God, the, the whole thing. And he, and he told it as it was. So he says, feed the church of the Lord, which he purchased with his own blood. So we have been purchased, we have been redeemed, we have been purchased, as I say, with his blood. And we may not quite get the significance of that, but in the first century, they had slavery. There was a big thing. Slavery was a big part of society. And if you were a slave, your whole body, your whole being belonged to your owner. You had to do whatever you were told. 
you were a slave, you were a free person. You typically lived in the house of your owner, you did whatever was required of you. And when you got old and too weak to work, well, you either just were kicked out to die under a hedge, or if the owner was some sort of decent guy, he would, uh, he might look after you, possibly, out of compassion. It was very difficult to get out of slavery. People ran away, as slaves ran away, but the only chance you had was that somehow somebody might pay a load of money to the slave owner so that you were no longer a slave, so you got free. And when the Bible in the New Testament talks about that we are purchased, we are redeemed, etc., this is the idea, that this payment has been made, and the payment we're told here was the blood of the Lord Jesus, so that we are no longer slaves. We are actually free people. And that is, a, you know, it's an amazing thing, that we who were slaves, all of us were slaves, whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you are stupid, whether you are smart, we are all actually slaves to habit, slaves to addiction in one form or another. We are slaves to our past, we are slaves to how we were brought up, we're slaves to society. Whereas we have been redeemed, we have been made free in the Lord Jesus by his blood. The result of the shedding of his blood on the cross, which is why we remember it in the bread and the juice, the result of that was that we have been bought out of slavery. So we are free. Not free actually to do just you know, exactly what you want. But we are free from the ties that bind. But I, I have to do this because it's what I always did. It was what I saw my mother do. It's what I saw my father do, so that's what I have to do. That's how I have to be. No. We are liberated. We are made free. So that we actually are now free to choose. And this is the whole thing. When he talks about getting baptised in Romans, he says, you've changed masters. You were slaves of sin. But you've been set free from that. And you've been redeemed out of that. And so now you have a new master who is, who is Jesus. Well, he says, I know that after I leave you, wolves will enter in among you, not sparing the flock, because men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So all through, the Bible is predicting, or the New Testament is predicting, that... The, the church was going to go wrong. And indeed that's what happened. Why? Because men arose speaking things to draw away people after themselves. Charismatic pastors, charismatic priests, archbishops, popes and a lot of them. Now a disciple, as I've been saying the last couple of days, is a student. That's what the word means, a pupil. And we are pupils, we are learners of Jesus. And if you're in a personal relationship with Jesus and you are just learning about him and it's you and him, you're not going to go and follow somebody else, no matter how charismatic, smart, persuasive they appear to be. And that is the difference between religion and spirituality. In religion you trip along to a building, be it a church, a mosque or a synagogue, 
and you, you follow what you're told. <coughs> the way of personal spirituality is quite different. That we are in this relationship with Jesus directly. There is no mediator between Jesus and myself. I don't have to go through a church, through some sort of organisation. No. It's direct, absolutely direct. And Paul is saying, unfortunately, the church is going to lose that. And he was not wrong. So he says, remember that for the three years that I was living with you, I warned each of you night and day with tears. In other words, he saw you guys could live forever. But unfortunately, you might go wrong. And so because of that, he cried. He had tears in his, on his cheeks as he spoke to people. Now we live in a sort of postmodern world where there is no emotion, where people are generally flat and without, without emotion. Whereas when you read the Bible, you meet people like Jeremiah, David, Isaiah. These guys were, were crying. Were, were, had, we're told they cried. Paul. Here we're told that he every day pleaded with them with tears for three years because he saw the eternity of the issues in front of us. That we're talking about eternal life or eternal death. You couldn't have anything more significant. Eternal life or eternal death. And if somebody says, no, I don't want to live forever, like, yeah, you do cry. Uh, so, you know, in, in this otherwise flat, emotionless, sceptical, cynical, postmodern world in which we live, into that breaks through the absolute reality of the fact that we can live forever, our sins can be totally forgiven, and, yeah, it is emotional. How could it be anything other? And he says, I have coveted nobody's silver or gold. You know that these hands, and it's like he's showing them his hands, have provided for my needs and for those who are with me. In all things I gave you an example, that so labelling you should support the weak. So, in the years that he lived in Ephesus and in that area, he says, I worked. And we're told what he worked as. He worked as a tent maker, which apparently was not highly paid work. He was a tent maker. And he says that I, with these hands, and he shows them his hands, with these hands I worked to provide for my needs and for the needs of the others who are with me. He had Timothy and others who were with him and his, this little group of them. Well, that's a big, a big shout from, you know, mega pastors and people, you know, say, oh, I've, I've had a word from the Lord, I need a Mercedes by next week, you know. And there's people in the congregation who haven't even got a bicycle, you know. This is religion. And when you get back to the, the, the Bible, you don't see this at all. You see someone like Paul saying, look here, when I was with you, I worked, didn't I, with my own hands. You, you tell me I didn't. Yes, you did. Well, he says, and so labelling, you should help the weak, and you should remember, you should repeat the words that the Lord Jesus spoke, saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That is... Absolutely the opposite of how the natural person thinks, of how people think, because the idea is that it is most blessed to, to get. 
You know, it's all about how big my stash can be. How much savings can I build up? What sort of car do I have? Have I got a car? Do I rent a nice apartment? Do I own a nice apartment? Do I own a holiday home? All this kind of stuff. That is called being smart. Well, as Jesus says and Paul says, keep on remembering and repeating the words of Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to get. So you see how radically different it is to be a Christian. It's the difference between light and darkness. Now we live in a world where it is more blessed to get than to give. And Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to get. In any case, you're not going to keep it for very long because you're going to die. And you are not going to take any of it with you. You're going to leave it. Even if you do make it big time and hit the, you know, hit the jackpot, what are you going to do? In the end, all these people die and leave it to somebody else. That's all you can do, isn't it? You know? um, and so many of those people who do really make it to the top, they end up giving their, you know, Bill Gates and all these people, they end up just giving the money away anyway. Because what can you do with the stuff? Now, for people like us who haven't got all that stuff that they've got, well, that might be, uh, uh, it all seems a bit distant. But it is really so. It is more blessed to give than to receive, than to get. And when he said this, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Notice he knelt down. Now, how should you pray? Well, you can pray in uh, various ways. And often you have to pray with your eyes open. You know, some bloke's coming at you with a knife, like, oh, God help me. You know, you pray with your eyes open. But I think that you can also pray, or we should pray also seriously on our knees. Uh, I, I do that myself and I encourage you to do the same. Get physically on your knees to, to bow down uh, before God. And if you just sort of mutter a few words to God as you go to sleep at night, probably next thing you know you wake up in the morning. Um, we are actually going into his presence when you pray to God. He is there. God is real. He is actually a real person. And the Lord Jesus is there in heaven as our mediator. This is really so. When you pray, your words are going there into heaven. Right? So when we, when we pray <coughs> to God, our words are actually going up there into God's ears. As it were. It's just an incredible idea. But man is not alone. Man is not alone. You can talk to somebody. You know, there's all these phone numbers you can call out there if, if you need to talk to somebody. Call the Samaritans. If you're feeling suicidal, call the suicide helpline. Call this, call that. Call Croydon Council. And talk to AI or talk to you know, the answer phone. Um, but we've got God. We got Jesus, who you can actually talk to. This is the most amazing blessing of prayer that we can actually talk um, to God and Jesus. So when he said this, he kneels down and prayed with them all, and they wept and embraced him and kissed him, being sorrowful because of what he'd said, but they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Well, 
you see there the unique bond which there can be between human beings who are Christian. That they are crying because he's going away. They're crying and kissing him because they know that he's going to Jerusalem and they think that he's going to die there. This, I would say, this bond, this depth of relationship that is possible between Christians, I would say that that is one of the biggest evidences that Jesus is real. He says himself in John 17, just before he dies, he says, I pray, Father, that you will make them one, so that the world may believe that you sent me. In other words, unity between believers should be so extraordinary, so gripping, that it actually converts the world. And it's a tragedy that the Christian church is divided, fighting each other here, there and everywhere. But that is, that's how that is. But the truth is, the absolute truth is that there is a radically, a, a radical way of bonding together in Christ that if I know that I'm in relationship, in a real relationship with this son of God in heaven who, as Paul says, loved me and gave himself for me I, I know that you believe that, then you and me you know, we're connected that way but then we're connected horizontally as well as well as vertically and it becomes this, this unique bond which is stronger in fact than family bond People say, oh, family first. Well, you know, families are great things when they work well, but when it, when it goes wrong, it's a terrible situation. And often the fact that you are physical brothers and physical sisters or whatever, I'm afraid it doesn't mean that much. It should do, but it doesn't. In reality, I would say in most human lives. Whereas the bond that is possible between believers... In Jesus, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. And this, as I say, is a unique and very strange kind of unity. And, as I say, so strong that Paul says it is so unusual that it can convert the world. Often I'm travelling around, I'll be going somewhere to baptise somebody... And, uh, you know, you're travelling and you get chatting with somebody and they're on holiday or they're on business and they're like, oh, what are you doing? And I might be saying, well, I am driving up to such a town or I'm flying to such a place to uh, baptise somebody. Oh, what does that mean? I say, oh, I'm just going to put them underwater into the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they look at you like you're totally crazy. Oh, where are you going? I say, I'm going to Italy. Oh, yeah, so you're going to enjoy the pizza and the wine. It's like, well, I don't drink alcohol, actually. And pizza, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not into all that stuff. Like, ah, so what, what, what are you going there for? Yeah? We, we are talking a different language to this world. We are thinking in a different way. We're thinking in a different way. I say, this is not religion. This is the outcome of personal spirituality, of personal connection with the Lord Jesus. That is what ultimately matters. Thank you. And let me take this cup, which represents his, uh, his blood. Remember what we read, where Paul says that we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, that he purchased us with his own blood. 
And I said that that alludes to the fact that we were slaves to sin and to this world, and the only real way out of slavery was to be bought out of it. And the price that was paid for us to be bought out of slavery was the blood of Jesus. We are redeemed, we are purchased, etc., by the blood of Jesus. And that's why Paul says, for freedom did Christ set us free. Not a freedom, as I say, to do what we want, but the freedom from the ties that bind what seems to be inevitable sin, from addiction, from thinking the way that we were brought up to think, and thinking about ourselves in the way we were brought up to think. This is the freedom, the radical freedom, the glorious liberty, as Paul says, of God's dear children. So, this is what it is to be free. That I'm no longer just a cog in a machine in society, no matter if you're a big cog or a little one. No matter if you're rich or poor, fat or thin, it doesn't make any difference. We are redeemed from all that, and we have been set free. So let's, uh, let's thank God for his son and what he's done. Heavenly Father, we thank you with all our hearts for the symbol of his body, your son's body, and your son's blood, his life. And we pray that we might experience that being set free from sin and set free from the fear of death, knowing that because he lives... We shall live also for his sake. Amen.